Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or those smartphones. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. And uh, we got a full house tonight with Ryan, John, Zane, and Zara. Talk, having a little forestry check-in with the staff of the Catskill Forest Association. How's it going, everyone? Good. Pretty good. Doing what's, well. Yeah, what's everyone been up to? Well, the weather's turned a little bit this week. Been doing a lot more walks in the woods on my free time. It's beautiful. It's, oh, man. Tell yeah. me. You could hike and hardly break a sweat. This is September weather. This is... I'll, I'll keep it. If it'll stay. Yeah, it, it really is nice. Um... It's you know it got down to uh, fifty two fifty one where I live in mid forties here forty four this morning yep. yeah so that's that's just awesome you know I like it oh yeah no you leave the windows open in the house and it's sixty two or so in the house in the morning and yeah it's enough to keep it cool all day AC is off yep and it's been off great for working outside too the humidity's let up. T- it's amazing. It's actually like, um, what was it, Sunday? Monday. Monday was the first day in months that there was clarity while having a view of the mountain. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? No, yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Seen the smoke and humidity, mm-hmm. you know, all the smoke we have from Canada. But, um, yeah, it was clear. It was very clear. I was up in uh, Woodland Valley and um, pretty clear out. Beautiful. What were oh. you doing up there? Um, just uh, hiking with a friend, with the, with my two uh, daughters, to a to a spot there, and uh, having a little cookout for you know a couple hours, and that was it. But, yeah, the spot up on the rock. Yeah, yeah, but can't talk too much. It's a secret spot. I know he's <laughs> still spot. still doing that. That's awesome. Oh yeah, how do you know about the spot? I've been there once with him. Have you? Mm-hmm. Did we all go there? Yeah, three of us went. I don't even remember. <laughs> it was a while ago then. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that must have been 2015, 16, maybe 17. Yeah. That era. Okay. Yeah, cool. But um, what have you been up to, Zane? I took a walk in the woods today, and, yeah, you guys were right. I mean, uh, for a guy that sweats a lot, it was great weather. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's just outstanding weather. Um, I was off last week. I was up. Uh, north St. Lawrence River for vacation. My parents have a little cabin up there that they rent between Alex Bay and Clayton. And yeah, just spending time on the seashore, watching a lot of the seabirds, ospreys, we're watching all week. Um, they got a lot of apples up there. I was very surprised by that. Those apple trees were full. And that was uh, a nice sight compared with uh, down here in the Catskills where none of the apple trees where I am fruited. Nope. The only person I know of that has loaded apple trees is Charlie Bloom. How? I don't know. They didn't get frosted. He's like, I'm on the south side. I'm like, so am I. Yeah, I, I know his spot. I can't believe that. Nothing. He is loaded with peaches and and friggin' apples. He's got everything. Pears. It's ridiculous. I saw one today in, in Margaretville on a consultation um, that had apples. and But it was funny because there's tons of apple trees on their property but only one of them had fruited noticeably, and all the rest of them were, I don't hmm. know if it was something about that tree. I mean, it was partially covered by 
some taller trees, so maybe it got a little bit more protection, but... Could be. Yeah. Well, ours at uh, 2,600 feet at our camp are absolutely loaded. So I just think it was up there it was just not ready yet. They weren't open. Right. The flowers weren't open during the frost, so... Yeah. I can't believe I got it. I mean, I'm south-facing, 840 feet in elevation, and uh, they must have been... They were already uh, fertilized, because I, I went out in the orchard, and, and they were fertilized. You know, they're swelling, but I guess they were still a little too flowery and tender, mm-hmm. and they got zapped. I thought they were going to be good, but I was wrong. There's one in the tree in our yard, in CFA's yard. I know it. Yeah. I got a few. I got a few of my trees. That's about it. Not much going on. So, what's everyone been seeing on, uh, you know, forest consultations when you're going to members' properties throughout the six counties of the Catskills and beyond? We were just in Ghent in Columbia County not too long ago. Yeah. Wow. Way out there. Way out there. I'm seeing a lot of gypsy moth, um, especially Sullivan Central, or I guess um, Eastern Sullivan County and then Central and Southern Ulster County is where I've noticed just personally seeing the most egg masses and moths flying around so yeah that's probably the most notable thing i've seen on consultations recently yeah same most i've saw of gypsy moths was in accord right in my recent visits that seems yeah. to be the densest yeah where i was in olive bridge and kingston um there was a good amount of egg masses um but not a lot of defoliation on the the trees so you know that i guess tells me that next year might be uh, a big defoliation event year yeah, no, same thing. The escar- <clears throat> the escarpment area, like where the big valleys meet the mountain, Accord was the only area on one road where I noticed significant defoliation near Rochester Center. Yeah, it checks out with the but, map so. we got from the DEC. They did some, I guess they flew over some regions in the Catskills <coughs> and pretty much the largest red area where they saw, uh, I guess, canopy damage defoliation was Kerhonkson Accord area. That's it, man. Yeah. She just asked us, driving around yeah. all over God's creation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we could draw that map out. Yeah. No, totally. Uh, anywhere else, uh, like Zane said, I haven't seen any defoliation, but a lot of egg masses. Mm-hmm. So those little brown, I don't know, how would you describe them? Brown fuzzy things on the bark? Yeah. I don't know. They're like a dark caramel color, fuzzy. Look like little patches. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how was, uh, oh, today you got some chanterelles again? I yeah. Chanterelles again. Um, yeah, today, uh, I went for a walk at lunchtime and stumbled across some chanterelles. That's Carried cool. as much as I felt like walking out of the woods with, but yesterday I came out loaded. 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 <laughs> with, um, oyster mushrooms. Yeah. Where were they like growing? Oysters. They were on a beach log that was mm. down. Yeah. I would say oysters are, if you want to start out with a mushroom, that's that's probably the most abundant one. Yeah, I'd say so, It grows too. on a variety of... Yeah. I see it a lot on red maple, like dead red maple snags. How do you cook them up, though? you like them? Yeah. They're not my favorite, but I'm not going to walk past them either. They're going to they're gonna go with my... Well, this was the original plan. I was going to put them on my steak tonight, but now I got chanterelles. I throw I throw those oysters right on the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I might... Um, I was reading... <laughs> Reading earlier uh, how to preserve them, I just dehydrate them and 
have uh, have them for the winter. I can know, see that. Throw, it might be better. Yeah. Some people make a, a powder out of them after they dehydrate them, and you can kind of sprinkle them as a seasoning or something. Really? I don't know if they taste like much that way, though. Yeah, people say it's great in soups. So my wife loves to make soups in the wintertime. So. I don't like the texture of them, so maybe if they were dehydrated, that'd be better. Yeah. But I love them chanterelles. Yeah. Goldens. They're not going to make it. They're going to be fresh tonight. Yeah, I'm eating them too. Some snake, as my daughter calls it. Snake? She says, can't say steak, John. Oh. <laughs> Youngest daughter. <laughs> you know? Snake for dinner. Those T words, they mess them up. Hmm. Snake. Yep. That's amazing. We gave my youngest the little baby a uh, steak yesterday. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Seven months old. And oh, nice. Your eyes lit up, and holy cow. Babies she's, know what's up. Man. She's going to be a venison consumer. She's going to be getting a tooth there yet? Starting to get one up. <laughs> Give her some bones to chew on? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just eat, her, you eat a chicken wing. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. My second oldest daughter usually asked me for my Leatherman to use my pliers so she can rip out teeth so she can get money from the tooth fairy to get more candy. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> wow, ripping out That's her cool. own, huh? Yeah. Nice. Just give me that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Need to save up money. She's got like 80 bucks throughout all the years. Wow. It's cheap. Wow. Hoarding. Yeah. Tooth fairy's getting rich, man. You know, it's getting a little too much money here. Yeah, anymore. I probably got a quarter. I don't know. <laughs> no way, man. This tooth fairy's giving like five, ten. One time he gave 20 bucks. I mean, that's ridiculous. Ooh. Price of teeth these days. <laughs> I, yeah. Like, She's not asking for floss or anything in a door handle? <laughs> what happened to that trick? I don't know. Probably works. But, um, so what else? What else? Anything wildlife-wise or anything you guys been seeing? I've seen wow. a lot of uh, twin fawns around. And, really? Um, yeah. Sure. Must live in some rich area. I don't know. We don't. We don't. Where I live, we don't have. We don't have twins anymore. It's just a bunch <laughs> of single moms with. Yeah. yeah. Just one. Yeah, a lot of singles too. But I've seen. I remember last year seeing quite a few uh, twin fawns as well. So I don't know yeah. where I'm driving around and seeing them. But need good habitat to create yeah. to get those twins and triplets. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen triplets myself, but. Used to when I was younger in New Paltz, when there was more like better young plants around and yep. freshly abandoned fields. Mm -hmm. But you, you've been seeing triplets there, John? No triplets. I haven't seen triplets in a long time. Years. Years. Decades. Decades. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is the time when uh, fawns are going to be more sightable. Um, they get into an age where they're really falling around their mothers all the time. They're not being hidden anymore. So yeah. drive around an hour before dark, and you're going to see some fawns. Yep. But uh, I don't know. So what I'd see last, uh, found a coyote dead in the woods. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Not well preserved. It's pretty far gone. It's the skull and the spine. And I see New York State got rid of their coyote contest. Yeah. And that's an interesting topic because the way that the law states, it says wildlife contests. Mm. So can we do like the fishing derbies for the kids anymore? And like, what the I heck? They exempted. Uh... They exempted deer, turkey, and 
bear, as far as I'm aware. And so there's still a sporting contest for them three, but yeah. But how, how do we discriminate? <laughs> why why deer, turkey, and bear? Why do they get a pass? Huh. And all other wildlife con- killing contests are out the window. It's, and it's a significant fine. I think it was like 500 bucks for knowingly uh, participating. Wow, that's crazy. Mm. So that's something to think about. Interesting. I mean, I get. Maybe I understand some reasons on both sides, but I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Sullivan County Coyote Contest was, as far as I know, probably what was the root of it. Oh, yeah. No, that was the end all right there. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, the fishing derby for the kids is like, I don't know. Where do you draw the line? I don't know. <laughs> Fish can't blink, John. Well, that's the thing. As <laughs> soon as they get eyelashes, they uh, all of a sudden are Start sacred feeding. animals. Yeah. But deer have eyelashes. That's Doe, what I mean. Doe eyes. Yeah, that's why I don't know why deer, bear, and turkeys got the got the pass on this Especially one. Especially bear. I, I mean, they have the most human empathy, even though they're, you know, I don't know. Shoot bear. I mean, um, <laughs> there's an early rifle season on bear. Yeah. Uh, and you can... Correct me if I'm wrong. Sell a gallbladder legally from a bear. I don't know the answer to that. I think so. I believe you can, which is goes against a lot of the North American model for wildlife conservation, where thou shalt not sell meat, what's, wild meat. What's the root of that? Is there some property to the gallbladder? Chinese medicine, as far as I'm, I understand. Yeah, as far as I know, uh, you know, call the office at the Catskill Forest Association if I'm wrong, if or if it's changed, but. As far as I know, it was legal, and I was surprised it was. Because you can't sell deer meat. Huh. Right. But you can sell an reason. antler, as far as I know, right? You can sell antlers. Could, there's a huge market for antlers. Um, so much so, look, you know, areas with, um, like out west, where elk and mule deer uh, migrate for winter, and um, area they have seasons for picking up antlers because it flocks so many people in oh, at yeah, once. It's actually a problem for uh, access issues and uh, disturbing wildlife, things like that. But yeah, the, the dog chew industry is huge. Really? Yeah, that's where a lot of these go. And then, then the best of the best go to again to Asian markets for uh, for medicinal purposes. But a lot of them are not prime, like. Ones that have maybe been on the ground too long, bleached out, been there a year, chewed up, things like that. They're not good for that market anymore. So they slice them up into dog toys and you can go buy them for a few bucks for a little piece. There's a market even hmm. for antler velvet, isn't there? That's even, yeah, but yeah. I don't know who's getting How do you get that? I don't know either. I think it's coming off deer farms yeah, you know, when they ship velvet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back to your original point, Ryan. You can sell all sorts of things. You could sell... Um, you can sell fur. Fur bears. Fur bearing, right? Didn't, yep. It didn't lead to the demise of beaver, maybe at one time, uh, hundreds of years ago, but um, it, it, you know, it's having no bearing on... In fact, there's people the DEC has to get rid of beavers, mm-hmm. right? What are they called, John? Wildlife... Uh, Nuco officers. Nuisance wildlife control operators. Right. So... Yeah, you have to get a license for that. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that stuff, you know. But you can't sell wild deer meat. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we've talked about that before on the radio show. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is forestry check-in. We try to do this every first Wednesday of the month with Catskill Forest Association staff. Just talking about what we've been seeing out there. 
Uh, we cover the six counties of the Catskills and membership-based organization, about uh, 1,200 members, family memberships covering uh, almost 80,000 acres of private, privately owned forest land. So anything uh, that sticks out before we move on about someone's property or whatever? I um, got the opportunity. I've been running the sawmill a lot, and I have a new species to add to the list, finally. Species? Species that I've milled. Oh, wood. Wood. Yeah, yeah sawmill. Tree. Gotcha. Black gum. Black gum. Oh, how'd that nice. go? It was awesome. Um, I would say it sawed very similarly to like an aspen wood, but it was a little bit more dense than that. Mm. And um, had a grayish, whitish sapwood with a, a really deep grayish brown heartwood. Um, not the most popping as far as something maybe you'll make uh, an end table or something like that, a showpiece item in your home. Yeah. But to have a really cool uh, like calico-style flooring, um, I think it would be awesome. And that's what they were going to do with it is make flooring with it. That's sweet. I wouldn't put it in the like uh, your hallway or your entry room or something, though, because it's a little soft. All right. So maybe in an upstairs or a bedroom. Less traveled. Less traveled. The boots are off. There's no stones in the shoes by then. You're in socks. I think it'd be better. John, I take my shoes off as soon as I walk into my house. <laughs> Good on you. Well, I mean, Freaking knuckle dragger. Well, I do too in my house, but sometimes <laughs> guests don't. and right. It's going to happen, you know? Yeah. I get it. Uh, how's the grain look with all those uh, kind of branches? Um, yeah, there was a lot of lot of pin and dime sized knots all over. Look cool. I don't think it's going to be structurally an issue. Um, yeah. Other than the the heart of the tree, but that's that's with all logs. So. As far as I know, black gum uh, nissosylvatica used to be used for water pipes for for municipal yeah. areas. Well, what made them suitable? They hold water. Once they fill with water, I guess they're something about the texture of the wood. Hmm. And I would say they're on the softer side, so maybe it's easier to bore through them. And yeah, you got to get a huge drill. CFA used to have one at the office. I don't know what happened to that drill. With a water pipe. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you if it was black gum or not, but it's pretty neat. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it was on display on our porch for a long time. Yeah. But it's not there anymore. I don't know what happened to that. Hmm. Did you throw that out? No. Jesus, I hope not. We wouldn't have thrown that out. We would not have thrown that out, dude. We throw out a lot of things. But <laughs> we did throw out. <laughs> Not that. All right, let's let's move on. How about you, uh, Zara Zane? Anything before we move on, program wise, that you've been uh, working on in the field out there? Um, not consultation related, but I guess getting ready to gear up for the first offering of the ginseng cultivation portion of forest farming program. Okay. So. Yeah, that's exciting for me. It's going to be our first round. We've got quite a few people interested, and I'll be, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll all be doing a trial planting in September, so, yeah. So you're trying to spread ginseng in suitable habitat. Yep, on members' properties. It's mainly about education, teaching them, you know, where ginseng likes to grow, how they can cultivate it on their own property. Um, you know, this takes pressure, too, off of wild ginseng plants that are already under enough pressures as it is um yeah and just something to to help people connect to their their forests especially for small landowners i find myself in my role like 
trying to brain, I'm sure we all do, trying to brainstorm different ways we can help small landowners um, manage their land or, you know, get involved in their forest that, you know, you know, they're not, they don't really have traditional forestry practices available to them all the time. So, sure. Shin pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it all comes back to that suitable habitat that you may or may not have. Um, member that I had a consultation with, they just bought the seeds and threw them on the ground in a part of the woods, and um, they just happened to have a really excellent habitat. It was like an old sugar bush and had all the you know proper indicator species around for those calcium-rich, moist, uh, dappled sunlight areas, and he just put a... Uh, uh, just like a chicken wire over it to keep uh, animals, critters from digging them up, eating them, and they germinated and they look great. Really? Um, yeah, just threw them on the ground. Yeah, right along a log, along this uh, kind of walking path, and he didn't really have any other, you know, methods besides that. Just uh, putting it in the ground and it seemed to work really well. And he was just a surprise, and I was surprised. And yeah, so but I'm he had surprised. really good habitat. So yeah. Yeah, because I feel like ginseng is a pretty finicky plant, so unless you have that habitat, it may not work out so well. I mean, there's ideal habitat, you know, which is that, that nice sugar maple forest, uh, mostly shaded, north-facing slope, and all the those indicator plants that tell you uh, things about the soil that ginseng likes as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to... See, I'm going to try on some different properties that may not have ideal habitat, but they have, you know, it's suitable enough and, and see how it goes. Um, so that'll be interesting. If you want to know more about that, um, Catskill Forest Association is having a ginseng walk August 19th. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. And uh, this is Forestry Check-In. We can go when we want to Night is young and so am I 
And we can just feel neat From our hearts to our feet And surprise them with a victory cry Say, we can act if we want to If we don't, nobody will And you can act real rude and totally removed And I can act like an imbecile Say, we can dance, we can dance Everything's out of control We can dance, we can dance To do it at the port We can dance, we can dance Everybody look at your hands We can dance, we can dance Everybody's taking the chance think about the most hilarious movie which you guys have probably haven't seen is hot tub time machine <laughs> I haven't they, seen it <laughs> when they get out of the hot tub and they realize that they're in 1987 on the ski resort <laughs> yeah <laughs> the song's playing <laughs> song's timeless though it sounds awesome era. hell yeah but uh, if you're just tuning in you're listening to from the forest every wednesday 6 to 7 p.m tonight's topic is forestry check-in try to do this every first wednesday with the staff of catskill forest association um we got a question online about hemlock bark i'll talk about that next but i wanted to go around and see why what you guys why you go in the woods uh not for cfa i don't want to talk shop like for, on your off time like what are you looking for this time of year I think at this point, there's a lot of fruit out in the forest, and it's fun to find little pockets of sunlight and kind of like, it's like a scavenger hunt for me. Um, sometimes I just go out just to see what I'll find, even in places I've been a lot. Um, you know, you might just stumble upon something that you haven't noticed before or that wasn't there before, and I like those moments where I just 
kind of stumble in a place where I think, you know, I've, I already am familiar with it. I've already seen it all. And then uh, I see something that I haven't seen before. Yeah. But this time of year, especially, there's, I mean, there's blueberries. There's still the tail end of raspberries. Black caps are just starting to come in. There's mushrooms after all the rain. You know, it's just the elderberries are just done. They got done flowering and they're about to start fruiting, too. So, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, what I never, uh, whatever is dull to me is um, the sounds in the woods. Um, being very quiet and just listening to things that are around, whether you see them or not, uh, whether you even know what they are or not, um, sounds have always impacted me a lot. And uh, you know, being in, being in the woods and just being quiet and listening to what's there and um, Imagining, you know, that's what it would sound like if you're not there. Anything from, you know, the the breeze, the wind through the trees, uh, just things rooting around in the in the leaf litter. Um, I don't know. Those are always very interesting to me. That's a lot of the mystery of the woods is is in the sounds. I think. I have a lot of the similar places I go throughout the whole year, really. So for me, I love watching the changes and. I'm looking out for different things and the changes that indicate those things are coming throughout the year. Um, like one spot, or excuse me, one time of year is like March, April. I love finding an antler in the woods. Not that I really care. I don't do anything with them, but that's what my eyes become tuned into. And uh, I find a few. And I go for the same kind of walks up the same ridges and the same hills that I always go. And then... Midsummer. Right now, um, I'm tuning in to edibles. Like I picked uh, oyster mushrooms yesterday, chanterelles today. Um, been keeping my eyes peeled for ginseng. Found a plant today. I'm paying attention to the cyclic events of animals. Like this past week, I noticed all the rocks overturned again. And that tells me the bears are after insects and grubs. It happens once a year, every year. Every single rock on a whole hillside is just overturned. And uh, that happened in the last week or two. Um, all the nettle got browsed in the month of July. Mm -hmm. You walk up a spring run on a mid-slope, 2,500, 2,800 feet, big sugar maple stand, and every single top off of the nettle is browsed off. And uh, I don't know what nutrient the deer are after, but it's in nettle. I know they're higher in iron. Maybe that's what deer are needing this time of year. I don't know. But those types of things are reasons I like to walk in the woods. And I have my events and things I'm looking out for. And really, it's just the walk, but that's what gives me satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah, I go to a lot of same spots, too. Um I like walking to a stream and going fishing. Trout fishing this time of year is, is one of my favorite things. And if I find a mushroom on the way, I'll, I'll pick it. Um, but also, when I don't have that much time to go down to the stream, uh, lately, to get a different workout, I'll just um, climb up the tallest tree. And, and nearby is the tallest tree is bitternut hickory or smoothbark hickory. And, you know, it's a, it's a good 80 to 90 foot tall tree. And it's pretty cool to get up there because once you're up there, I can see all the way out to Mohawk and the Vernoy Kill Ridge, Shokin High Point, Mumbacus, Rondout Valley. 
and um, it's cool. You know, you, and, you know, sometimes I used to bring a camera, but you know, you can't capture landscapes very well, especially forest forested landscapes. Yeah. They never look like much. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah, but that's what I've been doing. And uh, what's cool about going up a tree is no one's ever been up there, really. No one's been up there. <laughs> And uh, it, it's just a different perspective on things. You look at the, the forest differently. Um, the canopy stratums look t- completely different up there. You can really see the winters between trees. You can see how white pine is was dominating in hickory, and, and now the white pine are fading, and the maple are coming up underneath between the oaks. And It's very dense. forest is so dense, but... Um, and there's always a nice breeze up there, man. Mm. The bugs are terrible down below. You get up there, and they're all swirling around trying to get to you, and they can't do it, so screw them. But, uh, <laughs> but someone uh, online asked the questions, Zara, well, about bark. Well, uh, you know, I've been sharing, since I've kind of taken over social media, I've been sharing some of your What's Going On in the Forest blog posts on our website. For people who don't know, Ryan just once a week updates a little blurb about something he's been doing out in the woods. And um, lately he's been tanning deer skins, doe skins. And, um, yeah, one one guy has commented on a, a couple of posts and asked if you sell hemlock bark, since you've mentioned that you tan with, with hemlock. And he's, I think, over on the West Coast where they have Western hemlock, but he's, I guess, specifically after... Eastern hemlock, and he does all kinds of uh, tanning with different mediums and different techniques. So he's been trying to get Eastern hemlock, which, you know, I I told him, unfortunately, no, I don't think you sell the, the Eastern hemlock bark. I think it would be kind of tough to get it over there anyway. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, I don't sell it. It's just a hobby. Just do like two deer skins a year. Yeah. And I don't know. It's a good question about Western hemlock, whether it has the tanning content. I've always heard that Eastern hemlock bark is about 10 to 12%, which is maybe the highest Mm. out of any tree. There's chestnut oak in our area, but I have found that chestnut oak just doesn't peel. At least I have not unlocked the mystery of when it peels the easiest. But hemlock, I just peeled again uh, over the weekend on Sunday. And the old bark peelers used to say mid-May to mid-August. So we're right in that window, and it really peeled easily. I took down a tree for a person uh, near their house and came back and stripped the bark of it. But um, it's uh, it smells good. I, I like I like peeling bark, and uh, I can't imagine though it must have been a very hard job these bark peelers had. Um, many of you have probably walked in the woods, and some of the state trails follow bark roads that are very narrow. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they were just to use, they were hauled out by one oxen or sometimes a horse. And um, so they didn't have to be very wide. And plus, that was the first industry to go into the Catskills, so it was pretty rudimentary. But uh, they were peeling in the summer, and they can get hot. Although not as hot as probably of in the cities, but mm-hmm. it's still buggy, you know. And um, these guys lived in uh, bark shanties here and there. Uh, they weren't like big lumber camps where they had camp cooks and everything. They were sometimes sleeping on the ground or in just very rudimentary log cabins. And, uh, you know, John Burroughs talks about seeing dilapidated bark shanties in the mid to late 1800s that had already run their course by then. This is really the earlier half of the 1800s up until the Civil War. That's really when they were done. But really cool industry. And 
I always find that people think the hemlock um, industry or bark bark peeling and stuff like stripped our mountains, and I yeah, think it's unfair. I, I encounter that a lot, or people think that like land was cleared or all the hemlocks were completely cleared, you know, and that's why you don't find them on certain parts of the Catskills, but... I find some people think that the ha- the Catskills was a hemlock forest. Right, yeah. But it's, it's likely no, not much different than it is now. No, a- I mean, areas well, the, and pockets of hemlock and pockets of hardwoods. The, yeah. Uh, old growth... Mm hike that we hosted earlier you know what was it a month or two ago with um dr mike kudish talking about you know he researches bogs and i mean john you were there he was talking about somebody asked him what would the forest look like thirteen thousand years ago and he said based on evidence that he's seen it wouldn't look much different at all i mean where we were standing over um off a of millbrook road in in uh, margaretville was the northern hardwoods mostly and you know his hemlock was around but there's a mixture of other other trees as well and he said it he didn't think it looked much different yeah, that's a long time yeah. thirteen thousand years especially you know. below a certain elevation right. according to yeah. dr kudish there uh below 2500 feet yeah yeah hemlock uh thankfully for bark peelers grows in pure stands and you know i said the same thing about sugar maple mm-hmm. for maple producers thank god it grows in pure stands mm-hmm. but that also makes it easier to use right. so yeah where there's pure stands of hemlock yeah, they went at it for sure. But my point was that it didn't clear the forest. You know, what it did was it cut the forest and things grew back instantaneously. So, you know, that's what John Burroughs talks about in his book, In the Catskills, which is a collection of poems, or um, short short writings, rather, about the blackberries moving in and, you know, the different trees, obviously, like maple and birch and all that, moving in right away and filling in the spaces, cherry but yeah, the, the clearing is from farming, and uh, nothing against farming, obviously, but they get a pass. And they, they don't deserve the pass. They cleared it. I mean, it's fine. It is what it is, you know? Yeah, I guess it comes back to a lack of understanding of succession and how the system kind of moves in one direction, but it can be pushed back, um, right? And uh, well, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people aren't familiar with is... Uh, how the forest goes through stages. Yeah. Uh, hemlock was used for structural, right, timber, John? Mm-hmm. For the most part. But yeah. Still is. It's great. Right? The, I think it's under... Hemoke. I think it's under underutilized today. really is. Um, I mill a lot of it, and um, I'd much rather mill hemlock than pine. How come? Uh, for the Sawyer, it's not covered in pitch. Mm. I have a certain set of clothes I wear uh, if I know I'm going to be handling nothing but pine all day long. And I go through blades much faster. They dole out much much quicker than any hardwood, whatever. It's just gums up with pitch. Um, They're a pain, man. They're a pain to climb around for the climber. Yeah. They are. <laughs> I, I was cutting one down in uh, Claryville, just pruning it, rather. Pine. Yeah, and it was oozing all over. It got to the point. I said to the guy, uh, this is side work with Charlie. I was like, Charlie, I, I can't move anymore. And he's like, well, uh, okay, try a little harder. And I'm like, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't move. My knot is so pitched up. Definitely a Charlie response. So, yeah. Okay. Um, 
You need to try harder. <laughs> it's like, it's terrible. It's just terrible. But anyway, you were saying? Oh, and the structural capabilities of, like you just called it, hem oak, right? Yeah, as Gary is, says, Gary Mead. Hemlock's a very strong material, much stronger than pine. So, Is it? Yeah. It does everything about it. But the problem is, is um, it's not commercially viable in a large scale because, one, it's the way it grows. Um, you're not going to be able to reproduce it like you can pine. Um, and it gets what we call shake, hemlock shake the rings separate and you literally don't even know what happened until either after the logs on the ground or it's up on the bed of the mill and you start sawing boards off and they fall apart right in front of you so you know you can go through all that effort to get it to the mill and it'd be worthless so right but when it's on your property and and you want to build something then that's the material you need there are mills around though um calicoon has hofers matt hofer there uh good guy and uh, he he only mills up hemlock and white pine. Great. And wow. yeah, it's he's Good been doing him. that for a while, a long time now. But so I think there's Reiners. They might do it too in Pennsylvania on the PA side of the Delaware. Hmm. I don't know. That's true. But yeah, Hofer's still that, still at it over there well, near Hort, Hortonville, that 97 area, almost a 97. Keep him going. Yeah, but if you're, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is forestry check-in with the staff of the Catskill Forest Association.
The Cure. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is forestry check-in, like we do every first Wednesday with the staff of the Catskill Forest Association. Um, so where do you guys want to go with this? you have anything? I could go somewhere. No? Okay. What are some questions you guys have been getting from uh, forest owners out there, members? I got asked if um, how feasible it would be to, which I've mentioned this, I think, on a previous forestry check-in, but I got asked again, how feasible it would be to burn on private land, um, you know, by multiple landowners, actually. I've yeah, I was just talking to Zane about that yeah. earlier today, and oh, yeah. I've been getting that question as well, which I think is a good step in the right direction. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, people are interested in a in a positive way, like wanting to do it to help, you know, control invasive plants on the landscape, to kind of maybe reset an area or yeah, control vegetation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a great tool. <clears throat> Where do you think that comes from? Is this kind of people uh learning the lessons from uh everything that's happening out west in terms of wildfires? I think so. Yeah, I think so, maybe. And uh, I also see um, not all of the members that have asked me, but a couple of them are actually from the West, from Colorado, from, you know, somewhere out there, Arizona. And they're familiar with fire in a way that a lot of people that are native to the Northeast aren't. Mm. And, you know, they wonder, like, is it something out here that we use as a tool? They don't really see it at all. You know, we've suppressed it where it would have happened. So... Um, I think there's that curiosity. And then I think also people are reaching a point where they're maybe getting fed up with the options for vegetation control. I mean, we apply herbicides at CFA, and we don't have an issue with that. But I know that, um, you know, a lot of people do. And they also see fire as an op alternative option, you know, to chemicals. So, which it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And herbicides aren't without their... Costs and trade-offs, yeah, just exactly. as mechanical chainsaws yeah. have a lot of cost and danger. Right, yep. And fire does too, but if it's done right, who knows? Yeah. yeah, no, I think um, I think some people are hearing it from the show um, that I've talked to. They've asked me, so what's the deal with you guys talking about fire all the time? Hmm. And I think that's a positive, positive thing. Gets people thinking, expands the conversation base beyond you know just what we're talking about so that's happening i think that's pretty cool well we're going to learn more uh we meaning the catskill forest association we're going to be taking s-130 s-190 down in long island uh, i've never been out that far in long island so that'd be cool uh, yep. i took it back in 2004 at the ranger school but no one can find my certificate and mm -hmm. it was so long ago that it's kind of outdated i'm sure anyway so I we're gonna know. learn I, more I about it. This last year, and yeah. probably the same videos as when they first <laughs> conceived oh, God. the program. <laughs> God, not. Well, the lieutenant there from the Forest Ranger Division told me, you know, think some things have changed, yeah, but yeah. maybe not. You know, and it would be good to network with some people would, in Long yeah. Island who do burn, and right. they do, I guess, down there. They have yeah. a, that's where the uh, I'm not I can't remember the acronym, but it's a whole training center yeah. for wildland fire. Well, they have some interesting, <laughs> unique habitat down there too that requires fire in long island so right yeah fire island yeah. i don't know if that's one but that's that is a habitat <laughs> um yeah i like to learn about it more now in the field and take it to the next step 
and see how fire behaves. And um, so I think that's where CFA maybe needs to take their focus, and, and uh, we can educate more on it from, from more of a direct hands-on experience before yeah. going any further. The, and then we can start talking about the actual feasibility of, of implementing fire in the Catskills. And, um, and there's a lot of costs. You have to have a certain amount of people on site, and uh, there's liability, of course. So all those things have to be navigated. Navigated. Like Incident commander. Incident commander. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Oh, <laughs> Just passed my test today. It's all fresh. Oh, yeah. Nice job. What do you think, Zane? You going to burn? I definitely like burning i like making fires <laughs> um yeah i mean it's it's interesting it's kind of a i don't know especially with recent events it's kind of a cultural bombshell you know it's definitely divisive and um all the more reason for more education um demonstrations more knowledge of the importance of fire how it's needed in, in some systems to maintain them but yeah, I mean, it's it's just another alternative versus labor-intensive cutting uh, versus uh, chemical-intensive herbicide treatments. They're all just trying to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fire to me is what makes us human. That's why we're the hairless ape. You know, got to go get our own clothes and all this. And fire has enabled us to do it. And and not doing fire is just it's just wrong. It's just wrong. No, we, but for thousands of years, people have burned the woods around here, and, yeah. and they had they have I mean, reasons. It's been a tool for many different things, so I think it's definitely something that's, you know, no exaggeration, is ingrained in our psychology and in our evolution in some way. So, I was just writing an article about it, and towards the end of it, you know, it's talk about um, it's about high grade markets, low grade markets. We don't have low grade markets, and what is that? That's paper, pulp, wood chips, firewood. That. And we have some firewood markets, but they don't impact or, or save money for landowners who want to cut those smaller trees. Right. And if you don't have low-grade markets, that tree can't pay its way out of the woods, and uh, fire is just – was traditionally the way that human beings made the forest less dense and meet a variety of goals, which we have talked about a lot in the past on this show. Yeah, and I mean I think to a lesser extent – um, agroforestry, that's kind of why I've honed my focus in there because I think, you know, it's not as impactful necessarily, um, always, I should say, as fire, but you can, you know, take out low-grade material from your forest and use it in an agroforestry setting in some way. And so that's kind of part of, you know, the whole forest farming goal is, you know, you can take this this wood that otherwise, you know, you would have to pay for it to leave your forest or you would have to put in, you know, a significant amount of labor or money or time, whatever, um, and actually either enjoy something from that, um, get some sort of personal benefit, or even get a financial benefit if you're, you know, willing to just put in a little extra effort. So, um, but yeah, I think fire fits in into that brainstorming new ways for, and not even new, I shouldn't say, just different ways for landowners to manage their land small private yeah. landowners the more diversity you have in markets or ways to make a living from your forest i feel like the more options you have right yeah. so we're just about out of time here in from the forest believe it or not and tonight's topic was forestry check-in first wednesday we're trying to uh have catskill forest association staff come in and just just talk about what we've been seeing 
But um, upcoming events, forest farming presentation this Saturday at the Olive Free Library in West Shokan, Ulster County. A game of logging level one. I don't know if that's full. Is that full? Does anyone know? That's full. Okay. Forget I said that. Just, <laughs> just forget it. Ginseng Woods Walk, August 19th. And if you need more information, go to the Catskill Forest Association's website. And see you next Wednesday. We're talking about Emerald Ashbore with Colin Miller, Forester, New York City. Well, actually, just Colin Miller, right? I think that's just Colin. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. See ya. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. Then the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay. this way getting lost like a fool in the forest and as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear who'd loved him in the springtime of a long forgotten year his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games in an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town supported by oh, the old man and the following underwriters. Andy's Guitar Repair in Margaretville, specializing in fretted instruments, structural repairs, setups, fretwork, electronics, and custom wound pickups. Andy's Guitar Repair, by appointment only, by text or phone call, 845-384-2970. 845-384-2970. AndysGuitarRepair.com. 
Rick's Tire Service, family-owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires, mounting, and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. Totally good time on Main Street in Margaretville for graphic tees and sweatshirts with nostalgic phrases, humorous designs, and Catskills whimsy. Novelty items inspired by classic movies, TV, and pop culture. Open Saturdays from 11 to 5. Totally good time. Main Street in Margaretville. On Instagram at Totally Good Time and at TotallyGoodTime.com. Hi, this is Andy Cahill, host of The Andy Cahill Show. Saturday from noon till 2 on WIOX Roxbury. Serving New York's Catskill region at 91.3 FM, WIOXradio.org and MTC Cable Channel 20.